Hello, and welcome to another edition of um, Doing Things Better and Doing Better Things, um, my infrequent um, podcast where I talk to people who um, have inspired me through what they do and who have, I guess, I guess, kind of stuck to the little bit of weirdness that they had as a kid and, and, and made it work for them. Um, and this one is a cracker. I say that every time, but this one is a cracker. It's with... Um, with a guy called Rob Ryan. Rob is um, he's an artist. I, I he hates it when I call him it, but I think he's as much a poet as he is an artist. His his words and his pictures work beautifully together. Um, both would work on their own too, but but they work beautifully together. And Rob um, Rob grew up relatively close to me geographically, um, relatively close to me age wise. He's a few years older than me, um, and and we share many. Um, many foibles many kind of experiences and I, I just genuinely love spending time with him he's a super keen cyclist a lover of London um, and it, it's such an, a lovely easy amazing guy to be near so um, it's a really nice conversation we recorded it in his studio in Bethnal Green I'm currently sat in um, in the garden of the house of the last of this little flurry of Easter sun that we had. Um, so please um, have a listen. Uh, let me know what you think. It's really good to get feedback um, as to where this is going, how it should be done, um, any ideas that you've got for other people to to kind of be part of it. And um, yeah, re- I hope you really enjoy it. I I really did. Right. So I'm sat. I'm sat with Rob Ryan in. Um, a workshop somewhere near, is it Bethnal Green you'd call this area? Yes, it is Bethnal Green, yes. <laughs> and I, it's lovely around here, but when I lived in London 30 years ago, it, was, it wasn't like this. It's changed a lot. Yeah, I guess so. I, I mean, I don't live here, so I kind of turn up on my bike at nine in the morning and go home at six. I mean, I've worked in the East End for nearly 30 years. You know, I had a place down in... I had a place in Shoreditch and I had a place in Spitalfields and then we moved out to here. You know, it all adds up for years. But um, everybody thinks I live around here. And they go, oh, what do you do? Where are the bars? And I, ask, I have no idea. I live in Victoria. I'm <laughs> still in my same flat, you know. We've been there for 28 years or whatever. And uh, so I, it's pretty much a place of work for me. That's amazing. And but that's, that's like, what I do, though. I kind of, I kind of come here to work. <laughs> but... Uh, that's okay. Man. Yeah. That's no, okay. no, it's good. No. And and you've been in London, or you've been in London how long? Since 84. 84. And do you feel, when we've had this conversation before, but do you feel a Londoner? Do you feel this is home? Oh, no. No, I don't. No. Uh, but having said that, I don't, uh, that's a bit of a tough one for me anyway, because my dad was in the REF when I was, you know, when I was growing up, and, and we constantly moved around. So the, the, the clash, the, the, the clash, Sorry, I'm covered in cold at the moment. I've got big well, Both of us. I'm snotting <laughs> for uh, Great Britain here. But um, the, the question of where are you from is always a bit of a kind of... Uh, but after my dad left Birmingham, uh, the RAF, we settled in Birmingham. So I kind of say Birmingham because that's, that's where I feel we... That's where we lived when, when we'd stopped moving around all the time, you know. So, uh, but no, no, not really. I mean, you don't, do you? It's, uh, although having said that, 
as I get, I'm getting older and, you know, I'm not that old, but I will be 60 in three years time, you know, yeah. so I'm getting on, you know, I do kind of sometimes go down streets because I still rub my bike everywhere in London. I do have this feeling and it's only happened in the last six months, actually. And I go to, I'm on my bike and I feel like I'm, well, God, I've ridden down the street for 30 something years now, you know what I mean? And I've seen it change yeah. and I, I've seen all the, places closed down that I remembered and other places open and then them closed down and you feel a stretch of time that you've lived through and witnessed and been a kind of part of just from being there you know but then I do still feel that I I, you know there's a funny thing my dad moved my mum and dad moved to London from Ireland in the 50s and they lived on Gillespie Road which is where the football Arsenal was you know so My dad was barman by trade. You know, he did he did his apprenticeship in Dublin and then he came to Eng- England. And he worked in bars, in Irish bars in the city. And um, it's funny because he, there used to be a bar and it's not even there anymore. He was called, it was a, a chain of Irish bars in the, you know, old, you know, back in the day called Moonies. And there was one on the Strand and there were a couple in the city as well. And my dad used to work on the strand but of course this was way years before i was born and i still when i walk down the strand i sort of imagine my dad walking down it as well but, but the dad my dad before i knew him my dad yeah. is a young man and uh i don't know you didn't you my dad's been dead a few, good few years now but uh you know i kind of he was quite a lively guy as a, as a middle-aged guy as a young dad you know but i couldn't imagine what he was like Fucking as, a raucous as a young man well he would have just been full of life and funny yeah. he was a very lively kind of guy and i i kind of smile to myself when i when i kind of think of it because i don't know these you do have that connection you know totally and uh, and, and the interesting thing is place really matters when you're back in a place that your parents were in or you were in as a younger person yeah it's a time machine. Those yeah. Men, those, those memories come flooding back. Smells another yeah. great time machine. Yeah. But, um, I get that completely. I've only yeah. got to walk down. The, uh, I'm from the same similar part of the world as you're. I'm going to do inverted commas from from the Midlands, from yeah. the West Midlands. I've only got to walk through what the precinct in Coventry, and 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 I'm back holding my dad's hand, age six. Yeah. Going to the Belgrade to watch a Saturday afternoon performance. Yeah. That he got free tickets for because he was a photographer there. Yeah. Is that is that a kind of a smell? Does Coventry smell a certain way? Or? Yeah, well, <laughs> the precinct just smelled piss. Oh, right. <laughs> because um, because no one went through it at night. I remember walking yeah. through really early one morning. I think we'd been to the market to buy the best double baked Italian bread. It was sourdough before it was a trendy thing. Yeah, um, and I just we we followed a trail of blood. There'd just been it was a rough town. Uh-huh. Coventry was a rough. A rough old town, and so it smelled. Yeah, and my nan ran a, um, she ran a newsagent's in the red light area, a place called Hill Fields, and there's the bottom of Hill Fields was a big lake called I think it's called Swan something, Swan Pond. I can't remember, um, and that always just smelled of of, of dirt, and mm. so that's my smell of of Coventry, and yeah. of course bread. Oh, and the Lacana, and uh, not the Lacana, which um, coffee shop was it? Oh, what's the big brand that um Tiffs? I can't no, I can't remember. It'll come to me as we talk. Um yeah, we used to go and buy fresh ground coffee before it was a hipster thing as well. So then <laughs> so, so sourdough bread, nothing's changed, Rob. I've got yeah, yeah. fifty and then my advisor smells of fresh ground coffee. <laughs> sourdough bread and dirt. Everything's the same as it was. So um tell me about 
the sounds of your childhood and, and tell me about the flavours and the smells and the tastes of your childhood. What do you remember? Uh, well, it's funny, isn't it? You know, you talk about smell and they say it's the thing that does stay with you for a really... I mean, as a kid, I was... We moved around a lot. And um, a funny thing happened a few years, actually, because we lived in... I, we lived in Hong Kong for about a year when I was about seven or so. And... Uh, and so the thing is, smells, you can't remember smells. They, 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 you, you, they're there, but they have to be unlocked. They have to be unlocked by, you. by something else, you know, yeah. but they are in there in your head somewhere. But I remember I was in New York a few years ago and I walked around a corner and it was Chinatown and it was off Canal Street. And, you know, it was the summer in New York, which is a whole smell thing of itself, you know, which personally I... Everybody sort of says, oh, God, yeah, New York's great in the spring, New York's great at Christmas, New York's great in the fall. But in August, it's a hell, July, August, it's a hellhole. And I've got, I'm not just saying this, but that's when I want to go, because that's like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't go to New York in August. I go, yeah, that's when I love going. That's when I love the sting, and I love it. I mean, there's a brilliant John, uh, Jonathan Richmond song all about smells. Um, God, I wish I could remember. It would be really useful if I could remember what it was called. Um Anyway, it will come to me, hopefully, in a minute. But um, either, you know, I love the smell of pizza and petrol and all those kind yeah. of, you know. But anyway, I was walking in Chinatown and I walked around a corner. I don't know what it was except this one thing. And, and 50 years later, which is a, bit, a major chunk of my life, I literally stopped in my tracks and Lorna went, what is it? What's wrong? And I just went, it's Hong Kong. And it it had yeah. been locked in my head for fifty years, Amazing. and it just it, the the key had turned in the lock, and it was kind of like, yeah, that's exactly what Hong Kong smelled like. And I don't know if it was a combination of garbage and Chinese food and and traffic fumes yeah. and cigarette smoke, because you know that's a big part of Hong Kong. Prolific, yeah. and uh, and it was it was it would literally stop you. It, it was it was quite incredible. I'm going to Hong Kong next week. Oh no! Never way. been before. Yeah, oh, never right. been. And it's um it's a conferency thing, so it's probably going to be more hotels than real life. But yeah, but I'm I'm staying an extra couple of days because I I want to I want to know what it what it's like. Yeah. So um, what were you listening to? What music were you listening to as a kid? Uh, well, you know, I think you play your parents' music when you're a very young kid. So I think we had Elvis and Elvis albums, and you know, what's well, wrong with a bit of Elvis? Yeah. Early but uh, music, so I guess you know. I guess I like what my brothers, my brothers liked as a young kid. I guess I think my brother was into my elder brother. I don't really know much about what he liked as music. He just liked. He would just sing chart stuff or what was yeah. on on the radio. In fact, this would have been um, early seventies. Yeah, the kind of everything's kind yeah, of early seventies. What the hoople? Yeah, but I think my brother. I remember years later, sort of like this song came on the radio, and I and my brother started singing it, and I went. God, you're singing, you're singing along to that. My brother's eight. My elder brother's eight years older than me, and it was a, it's an old a record called Disco Stomp, Hamilton Bahannon. So everybody do a disco stomp. Da, 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 I know da, that da, song. Da. Yeah. A, it was a big hit. Yeah. And my brother said, "Yeah, this is my favourite record." And I went, "What? You have a favourite record?" Because <laughs> my brother, he's a chef, so everything to do with him is related to food. I never really think about him, but he, I do know that he used to like, uh, you know, "Here Comes Johnny Reggae," all those kind of songs. But to tell the truth, my other brother was a bit more... 
No, no, I think he was into John Lennon. I know he had some, he had some Bowie albums, and he, you know, played them and stuff. Yeah. But in general, I, you know, I was a bloody classic, stupid teenager. I'd like, you just like what you just like what kids like now. What's in the charts? Yeah. Like you know, Gary Glitter and um, things you, things it's you really say weird saying, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Gary Glitter. But you know, kind of like Gary Glitter, Sweet Slade, blah blah blah, all of that. And the glam rock. Yeah, but even in those days, even when you're a kid, you like you like oh yeah, sweet or cool. Slade aren't really cool, but they're all right. Shwadi wadi a bunch of wankers. You know what I mean? You have a different. You have different. Uh, you're different. Difference. Difference. Yeah. You're different. So kind of the differences yeah. between them. David Essex is a bit of a bit of a commercial guy, but I guess some of the things he does are okay. Perfect you know what I mean? My mother-in-law. She utterly. <laughs> Utterly loves David Essex. Really, but yeah. in a way, you kind of, you, as you grow older, you, when you're a kid, you like all the music. You yeah. just think it's great. You love The Laughing Gnome. Yeah. First two records, Ernie and then The Laughing Gnome, of about five years later. They're the first two you bought? Because it's funny. Yeah. I mean, your comedy records are, yeah. are really, you know, that's what I like. Funny, they were like the funny things, you know. Like My Old Man's a Dustman. And all those kind of stuff. Yeah. Because when we were kids, there were records in the charts that were silly comedy records. My Old Man's a Dustman, Right Said Fred. Yeah. You know, all of those songs were made when as, you say right says Freddie that, that that's not the band that's the no um, it's Peter the, Sellers yeah yeah, yeah. you so know all of those I'm right said Fred or whatever you know all of those but they were in the charts yeah, they and were. they were funny records you don't you don't really get funny records in the charts anymore nobody's sort of making records that are, are to make you laugh you know or, yeah. or to sing along to or in that on that level no I agree. I agree so as a kid you love all that kind of stuff and uh and then they come and then you love you know all the pop music and then in a way it starts you start changing don't you you start thinking oh well david essex is he's kind of oh yeah he's great and then you kind of think well is he really so great you know what i mean and and then of course you start saying oh well that's good and that's bad and i don't like that and i like that bit but i really like this and even if it's kind of you know you start listening to more rock music or whatever or punk and but uh, you know but but um you know you have this level of 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 uh of you're making your own decisions but, about and you're choosing your identity and that goes exactly with clothes that. and blah blah you're blah. tribing and and i yeah. guess i guess the point is when you as soon as you put it into a category like david essex not so cool rod stewart not so cool shawadi wadi embarrassing um oh but i do quite like whatever it is I guess that once you've categorised them, then the gaps between those categories can only only grow. It can only be more what you were and, and, and less what your parents were. Or, yeah. Or your best mate who's ever so slightly embarrassing likes. But at the same time, you're making those choices because, you know, I mean, if you discover punk and you think, oh, my God, this really speaks to me because uh, that it's saying the world is a, is full of shit and the world is a lie and, and, yeah. and, it, and, it's, and it's all wrong. And you kind of fundamentally think, actually, I agree with that. That's a political And agreement. I think the world is a fucking is a mess and, yeah. and, it, and, and, they, and they lie to us and blah, blah, blah. And then you, you sort of draw, draw a line, you, you know, you join that side. And then, of course, there's a whole... Which that's what I kind of got into. You, you're into punk. I was going to ask you, you're into punk. Yeah, I was. The, the funny thing is, is my cousins were really into punk, and they were quite early punks, and all their friends were early punks, and um, and I was 14 when I 
discovered it kind of via them. Yeah. So I was kind of too young to go. 1976? No, no, 1977. Yeah. But the, my first punk gig actually was, uh, which was only my second gig, that was only the second gig I went to. And it was the summer of 78. And it was um, it was Sid Vicious actually playing at the Electric Ballroom. It was only the second night of the Electric Ballroom. Wow. I think the first night was some other weird conglomerate. But basically, Sid was leaving London. He was moving to New York. And uh, he put together a kind of group with, I don't know, I think Ratscabies was on the drums. Yeah. And it was, a, it was maybe Steve Jones and a couple of guys from The Damned. I think they were called the Vicious White Rats or the Vicious White Kids. Because Ratscabies is in a band called Ratscabies. This is proper boring punk. Actually. I love it. Ratscabies from the Dam was in a group called White Rats. And I think Glenn Matlock had left the set with Boot and he was in the Rich Kids. Yeah. I think Glenn Matlock was on guitar. So it was the Vicious White Kids. And it was quite a prestigious gig, you know what I mean? But honestly, even at 14, I went with my cousin and I remember just looking and going, God, it's over. It's yeah. finished. And it was only like 90s. I guess it was 1978. And by the time I've got it, and it was just awful. It was just, I don't know, it was just crap. You know, he was doing fucking rock and roll numbers. Come on, everybody. And it was just awful. And But as soon as, he, as, 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 soon as McLaren stopped having an influence on him, he was shown to be pretty crap. And whether you like McLaren or not, the guy was a genius in what he created. Yeah. And Johnny Lydon was the perfect front man, anti-front man. Yeah. And and I, I know loads of punks that said by 77 it was over. It was actually 76 was yeah. when it was at its height. And you always get more and more elitist about these things as if you're in the heart of it. Yeah. And, and I can see that. Having said that, you know, you could still go and see the Buzzcocks in 1978 and the Ramones were still brilliant. Yeah, and you could see Boots and Rats. And, and, and they were great yeah. groups, you yeah. know. Well, the Ramones were the to my mind that was the they were the first punk band, and I know people say the Damned were here, but to my mind the Ramones were ahead of them. The Ramones were the were the were the were the first. Yeah, I think they were the first punk. Leave Home was one of the. Yeah, they were really brilliant. They were I amazing. mean, if I go and see the Ramones, I used to. Well, I you know. I'd always go down the front, so I'd literally be pressed up against the stage. And like the Ramones was just two hours of kind of like you were just lost in it. It was just a complete wave of three minute songs just just came firing at you. You know, it was quite a experience. So they were, I just don't see the point of going to see bands like that where you just stand at the back near the bar. It's like as a 15, 14, 15 year old or 16 year old, you've got to be there. You've yeah. got to be right down the thing. But the, be the best punk band really were Mark Perry who used to write the punk the early punk fanzine Sniff and Glue he made a, he formed a group called Alternative TV and they he released a record in 1977 it might have been 78 I'm not it was quite early but he was doing these brilliant songs um, he did this great song called How Much Longer and it was basically him going how much longer will people wear bondage trousers and dye their hair how much longer and, and he goes to me I thought it meant more than this you know what I mean I, I thought it all this talk of anarchy is just talk and it's just posturing and it's just 
fashion. It, it's just sort of no, you're not really into anarchy or anything. You're just doing what, yeah, exactly for the fashion sort of side. And it's a radical record. It's and you listen to it now, and he's so angry and he's so disappointed. It's really interesting to hear a record where somebody's actually expressing disappointment. Oh, that's amazing. No, it's a brilliant record. I'm going to dig uh, that. Yeah, I've never just heard go it. on YouTube. But you can actually, it's an emotional, it's an emotion that isn't really explored that often. You know yeah. what I mean? Anger and disappointment together in a song. That's, a, that's brilliant. It's, that it's is. quite brilliant. Yeah. And then after punk, because I don't, I mean, well, after punk, we got, I got into mod with my mate. I met all my mates up in Birmingham. I met a new bunch of mates. And we all got into, yeah, we used to go see Dexies on yeah. a Friday of night course, in a yeah, little yeah. basement bar in 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 Corporation Street. Mr. Sam's, yeah, just going to see them. Just going to see the beat. You know, there was so much good music going on. The beat used to do a thing every Monday night. He didn't really bother going. Yeah, oh yeah, I've seen them. You know, you just all be a bit blasé about it. But Rankin Roger, who sadly just died, actually, yeah. he was brilliant. Before he joined the beat, he used to be the resident DJ at this club called Barbarella's in Birmingham, yeah. and he was unbelievable. He was like a Rasta sort of, but really into punk. And he used to sort of play quite heavy. He was like heavy dub instrumentals you yeah. know but then over them he used to augustus kind of, pablo style that kind of stuff prince yeah. farai all that kind yeah. of stuff but over them he and i don't know if many people remember this but people in birmingham at the time might remember it he used to toast uh punk lyrics over them so he'd be playing this regular stuff and then he'd be like going oh i'm an upstart hey what you gonna do i'm an upstart listen and talk and you know angelic upstarts and he used to sort of do his own punk rapping over, over the, the reggae and it was like a brilliant unique thing it was really and it's so birmingham as well because birmingham proper reggae reggae yeah. town more than anything really it's you know it's you would in the 70s you would walk anywhere in birmingham you would hear reggae you'd go into dulcies and they'd be playing joe gibbs you know what i mean it was it was, it was the black everywhere. country was heavy metal, wasn't it? Well, I say heavy metal. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Yeah, but um, but it was weird. But then anyway, we did. The, we were into the mod thing and everything. And then we, you know, I quite liked the mod thing, but only because it was our own thing. The punk thing was your was your older brother's kind yeah. of thing, and the mod thing was quite good, although. You know, the the bands weren't that great. Dexies were good and the specials were really good. I mean, I've seen specials and Selector and they were brilliant. They yeah. were one of the best live bands I've ever seen. They were brilliant. But, you know, this guy, these kids that I used to work with, they used to work, uh, used to hang out with, they used to work in, in I think, Lucas's. And one of the guys they worked with um, said, oh, you're, 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 you're into your mods, you're into soul, reggae. And they were like, yeah, we're like Motown. Well, if you like Motown, you gotta you should come up to Wigan with us, you know. Who's like an old Northern Soul guy? This guy called Brian, and uh, they used to run a coach from Redditch to go to um, to go to Wigan, you know. And, but Wigan by then was a bit dying on its ass. It was nineteen eighty then. Okay. And um, but the Friday, the Friday monthly oldies all night was the one that everyone used to go to, and it was always heaving. I mean, thousands. It was like yeah. Yeah, two two and a half thousand people in there easily. So the Northern Soul. The, the 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 majority of the Northern Soul movement had passed. This was the tail end. Yeah, of it. yeah, yeah. It was kind of sort of. It was still kind of going a bit, but it was kind of a bit over. You know, it yeah. was a bit kind of over as a big thing. But the kind of it was still going. But then again, it had shrunk down, so it was much more of a hardcore thing. Sure. All the kind of jump on the bandwagon people had left, so it was the people that were into it were really into it. And uh, so we got this coach, went to got the bus to Redditch, and then we got on this coach. All these guys, you know. And they're just blokes, you know. They're not into fashion or, or anything like that. They're just into the into taking 
gear, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah taking loads of speed and dancing all night. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and we used to go up there. Oh, my God, it was just mind-blowing. I just sort of... I remember just the first time we went there, we literally... You get there about one. You just walk in, and it was just intense. One in the morning? Yeah, it was just intense. It was hot. It was packed. It was... People were... There's a mad northern-style... Of northern soul thing about of style of clapping, where in a, in each song there's a clap, and when you first go, it's like, and then it's like what? And like all around you, five hundred people just clap at the same time, and you wow, just think, like a how the fuck do they know where to do that? Because that doesn't make any sense within the record. Rhythmically, it's kind of off on a kind of counterbeat sort of thing. And you just can't get your head around it at first. But then finally you start getting the feeling of where the clap's going to be in a record. And it's actually quite fucking mind-blowing. This sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really good. I don't know if there's much... There's some good... The thing is, people used to go to All Nights, especially Wigan, and they'd bring their ghetto blasters along with them and they'd just press record. And (coughs) it's the only way you could hear any of the music was... They might get uh, the odd record might get a British release, or it might end up on a compilation album. But they're only yeah. like you could count the amount of Northern Soul compilation albums on both hands. There weren't yeah. that many, so people used to tape the all nighters, and we used to do it as well. We'd bring tape recorders, and then we'd get back and play. And of course, you know the Northern Soul, soul style of DJing isn't so much as mixing. You play a record, and then you. It's the bingo call, yeah, like yeah. Northern Bingo. It's call. old school DJ. Oh, it's, spoke between the two. Well, it's yeah. like, oh, that was oh, there's a car block in the entry registration number, so and so, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the chip, you know. And, uh, and it's hard enough to kind of work it out what they're saying because the sound system was awful anyway, yeah. But uh, not that you really noticed things like that at the time because you mm. were so into it. But um, yeah, so you'd have these tapes and you'd play them back and you go oh my god that's what that is and you still couldn't work out what they were calling it but you'd pay the tapes during the week yeah. to find out what the music was you know but of course at the same time you think of Northern Soul you think of 60s music but at the time in 1980 loads of the records that were playing even though it's an oldies night were almost new releases they were, were kind they? of yeah they were kind of disco records that had a kind of Northern Soul feel so I was going to ask you about this because because to, to, to my mind both Scar and Northern Soul have got their roots 20 years earlier they've got their roots in the 60s um and disco which was the this the counter movement or the or the alternative movement to punk at the time yeah um that feels like northern soul or there's a number of tracks that feel like there's a bridge there yeah um did you ever then get into disco was that ever your was yeah. that ever your thing yeah no not not like the kind of commercial disco but yeah totally as soon as as soon as you start hearing you being exposed to all this kind of obscure disco that the northern soul thing is I, I still think my my favourite year for music was 1982 for, you know, releases. Really? Just the, the music that was coming out, you know, on import that you'd yeah. go down to the shops. Because then, by then, I was getting more and more just into black music anyway. And even at the same time, I'm still kind of listening to reggae and all the reggae that's going on there. And But, you know, then you start listening to the funk music that's coming out. And uh, 1982 is unbelievable. Rare funk from the early 80s. Not even that rare, just sort of black music charts. You know, you get... I stopped buying Enemy overnight, which I'd always bought, and I started getting Black Echoes because that had the North and Soul page at the back and you'd find out where the the all-nighters were on and stuff. And then you'd start looking at the rest of it and then you'd start listening to... And then hearing that was hard. How do you hear... how How do you hear that music? I mean... 
Peter Powell used to have a show and he for half an hour in the Peter Powell show on a Monday evening at six o'clock Froggy would come on who was like a you know funk DJ and would play half an hour of of imports and basically that was kind of it but when you came down to London I was at Nottingham then doing my art degree you know but then when he moved down to London there was just pirates everywhere and he had solar and you could hear all those imports all the time because yeah. they were just you could tune into them you know what I mean up north unless the local radio station had a guy that did a kind of Thursday evening up hour you know you it was you were pushed i mean in nottingham when i was there on radio derby terry christian had a show and don't know how but half an hour one of the old wigan djs dave everson used to come into the terry christian show who's from dave everson from stokes proper old yeah one of the great djs who used to actually dance actually most of the djs didn't really dance but he would always see you'd always see him hitting the dance floor quite heavily you know but um he used to come on and play records and it was great you know he played oldies newies new releases it was it was brilliant but if in radio radio sheffield richard serling had a show so you know it, it was hard to find and hear this you had stuff. to really want to get you had to really work hard yeah to you had this. to look for it it wasn't there do you, do you think that scarcity do you think the difficulty that that had <laughs> made it more desirable for you was that was that part of its appeal no i just i really don't think so i kind of thought about it i because i just think it's great music and it's unbelievable and the whole rarity thing of northern soul is it's a pain in the ass really i mean now you can hear anything you go on youtube and type it in and the odds are it will come up i mean there still might be a few super rare things that aren't on you can't find online immediately but i just think it's you know, I still buy Northern Soul fanzines. I've been listening to it for like 40 odd years. And I bought a Northern Soul fanzine, Shades of Soul. I sent off to Manchester, my five quid, you know, and it came in the post and I turned the page. Okay, don't know any of those records. Turn the next page, 20, the reviews of 20 records. I know one of those. Next page, don't know any of those. Oh, I know a couple of those. Literally, there's thousands of soul records that were made in the 60s and 70s that there's just so many of them it's 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 possibly the richest vein of cultural artistic expression you'll Amazing. ever find Do you know I, I remember reading um my obsession i was born in 68 so my first kind of love um, musically was 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 bowie or bolan but and they, they were friends at the time but not for long bolan got jealous of bowie's success and um, and I, I was a massive fan of T-Rex and then obviously it all kind of imploded for him and as part of his salvation he moved to America and met, and met Gloria Jones who he later married um, and then came back and started his show where he championed two things punk yeah weirdly but he was still knocking out when it was his turn to do a, a gig he still played Jeepster he still looked like yeah. he did um, and the other thing that he was really into was Northern Soul, was yeah. it? Atlantic Soul, through, yeah. through Gloria. That was his yeah. way in. Well, there's a great clip of him, of Gloria Jones on the show. Have you seen it on one I of have. the TV shows? And he's he's actually, his face is so sweet because he's beaming with pride. He looks he watched, so much. I've seen he that. Watched play. It's, quite, it's quite moving, actually, I, watching his face. I think I think she saved him and ultimately ah. didn't. Um, mm. But he, he was a, um, a huge egotist. 
and I think his salvation was his his downfall was his salvation. Yeah, and um, she taught him loads. Yeah, utterly loads. Um, but I just, I just, I just remember. Did she? Did she die with him? In she the was car? driving. No, she was driving. So she didn't she die. She survived. She yeah. survived. I don't know. Yeah, they got they had a kid and and Roland, I think is Roland okay. Dolan, and I yeah. think he's still recording. Oh uh, right. And I mean, utterly broke. You know, the money went to play people that didn't deserve the money. Yeah. So you, I think they have a line of merchandise. You can, you know, if you want to support what they're doing. Oh wow! I didn't you know can that. do that. Yeah, yeah, there's a way of doing it. Yeah. But, We've not talked about your art at all, Rob. Um, other than we oh, talked about, I don't want to talk about that. Other than we have stuff. talked about your art, but um, <laughs> this podcast really isn't about what what you do. It's what made you do what you do. Yes. So, how, how did you find a voice through through your work? Uh, God, I don't know. It's that's such a complicated, deep question. You know. But isn't something that happened overnight. It's something that happened over a period of 10, 20, 30 years. You know what I mean? And I, and I think it's still happening now. You know, you still, um, you know, you, I, I, I still can't, you know, look at old work I've done and think, God, I could have done that better if I did this, that and the other. You know what I mean? So my voice isn't, I never would think it will ever really be complete. You, you always sort of like, there's this thing that you're kind of aiming for, but you don't quite know what it is, you know, so... Is that frustrating? That, Do you no, that? it's it's the thing. It's it's like the it's like the soul, the soul music, the love of the soul music. You know that there's, you know that there's more fantastic things yet you haven't discovered or heard yet that you're going to kind of get so much uh, value from. You know, so it's not frustrating at all. It's almost the kind of thing that um, that keeps you going in a way. I mean, I mean at the moment I'm kind of started doing this new kind of weird project where. Um, I'm doing a, I'm doing a sculpture, <laughs> but uh, and I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm always doing two D things, and I'm always doing pictures, and I've done kind of narrative things with stories and books, and you know, I've done things with words, and well, you know, generally, you look at my picture, you hold it in your hands, you look in a book, you look at it, you or you put it on the wall, and you look at it. You know, I kind of wanted to do something where it was a bit more of a different experience to view to view the picture. So. Uh, Currently, I'm making the process of making a kind of mini volcano. <laughs> you uh, you kind of climb up. It's made of wood, and you climb up this volcano, and you look in, look into the crater of the vol the, the hole at the top, whatever that's called. And uh, and then in it, there's something in there, and it's like you know that's the sort of story. But um, having said that, I don't know what that is yet. I've been cutting up bits of wood and building. That's the, one of the top sections of it. Over Fuck there. it, that's huge. Oh yeah, it's 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 like eight foot tall. Is you that know, the mouth of the volcano there. That's the second section. Second if you section. yeah, there's another bit that goes on top of it. But basically, you know, I, I and and I don't quite know what I'm doing, and I'm not quite sure how it's going to end up or how it's going to turn out. But I don't know. It's exciting and interesting to kind of do something different and you know try and complete some of the things that you've got in your head that you've always wanted to kind of get on with you know what I mean so yeah. uh is, is that I mean that not quite knowing what you're doing not quite not quite having a destination in mind is, is that something that's ran through your your I'm going to use the word career and you yeah. can use the word career in two ways right it means the jobs that you do and also when you career you're slightly out of control I, like, yeah. I do like it in that way well 
Uh, not really, because I'm I quite I do quite always know what I'm doing. You know what I mean. Even though I might be doing something a little bit different, or yeah. even when I started doing paper cut, I kind of knew what I was doing. I was trying something different from what I was doing before. You know, but still within that range of uh, of 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 different mediums of work, it's still my voice, so yeah. to speak. You know, and uh, so I don't think that really changes. I just think possibly the way of reaching out to people. I mean, what's really nice about the volcano thing is is there's nothing to be there's no money to be made out of it it's not for sale particularly and uh it just kind of costs money actually <laughs> is that freeing or yeah no no it's brilliant it's really nice to kind of have the money set aside to do it and got the gallery space set and everything and it's and i'm putting the show on myself i kind of always like the idea of just having the complete control of the whole this is a project well, it, the you're, idea is you just get on and do it yourself. You you're know. your own record label here as well. You're your own. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, I think the uh, I think the um, the thing about not actually having to make any money out of it is very freeing. It means I can just do what I want and and then just sit back and 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 show it. You know what I mean? I don't think, oh God, if I did make this, people might buy it more or, sure. you know, because at the end of the day, you still have a studio to run and you've got to pay bills and everything. Yeah. So that if I never sold that, would just fall apart and disappear, you know, and you've got to keep that going. So it's quite nice to have this one separate project where we just think, well, we don't have to make any money from this. Let's just do it and let's let people see it and see what they think of it. When you wake up in the morning, what do you feel grateful for? Uh, God, just being able to blow my fucking nose at the moment, actually. <laughs> but um, in general, I don't know. I think uh, I've kind of made it work in a way. I'm lucky I don't go to work. And I'm well, I'm grateful for the things that I don't have to do. I don't have to go and... I mean, I've done temping and I've done part-time jobs where couriering you do you you recycle yeah but couriering was great that was <laughs> I was just riding around that. London I mean I, I did kind of jobs you know when I was at college during the summer and you'd end up working in offices for, for manpower you know yeah. and I think the things that you're grateful for oh god I don't have to do that every day and go up and spend eight hours a day with people that I just can't fucking stand you know what I mean or have somebody telling me what to do all day or yeah. blah 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 so I'm incredibly in a tiny percentage of people that doesn't really have to answer to many people, you know, which that's is amazing. quite rare, isn't oh, it? Oh, Rob, it's a, it's a luxury. So a... those, I guess that's the kind of the top of the list. And, and But having said that, from that, I don't kind of, you know, walk around all day not doing anything. I do go to work every day mm. and I work, and, you know, I try and get well, you, no, your app is prolific. Yeah, I, 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 I do see, but at, at the same time, it's what I want to do. It's what I really enjoy, you know, and... Uh, and that's the whole point, isn't it? To 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 um, do something that you get pleasure from, and and ultimately that will show in your work, and you might pass something of it down to other people, you know, who who experience it. People who, who see it, buy it. So just to finish off, because I've taken up a lot. Of no, time, no, it's no problem. Two questions: What's the favourite piece of work that you've ever produced? Okay. What's the other question? And I can think about them both together. Or are they related to no, each no. other? Oh, I'll look at What's your favourite record? Uh, okay. Uh, well, the second one's a bit easier to answer. But uh, the first one, it's really, really weird. Because even though I have really favourite... I do have pictures that I'm really fond of. And yeah. I think are good. 
But I'll be honest, I really find it hard to look back and look at something without thinking that I could have done that better if I did it like this. This will be better, you know. I don't think there's anything I've done that I couldn't really almost want to do again but improve on. So that's the tough one. But I can't, I do have an answer, believe it or not. But um, the books that I've done, uh, they're such massive enterprises. Yeah. You know, they, they, you know, they take the best part of a year. You know what I mean? It's hard work to kind of write and write a story and do it. And literally, one, as you work on it, you, you know, I, the way I work on a book is I start with page one and I go through to the last page. Yeah, you know I'm very I mean? linear as well. So it's like that. And then when the last page is done, you know, you work on it with a publisher, you work, you work on it for a bit longer, you work on it with the text director and blah, blah, blah. And then you work on it a bit more. And then, okay, we've got to go back and look at it and work on it a little bit more. And then it goes to the printers. And I've never read the, I've never read the book. I've worked on it, page one. But I've never sat down and gone back and looked at the whole thing that I've done. I just can't do it. Because I, I, I can't face it. It's just like, oh, fucking, I just don't ever want to see that for a long time. So the book will be published. I'll hold the book in my hand. Oh, look, I've made a book. Isn't that nice? There's the cover. Flick through it, blah, blah, blah. And then maybe three or four years later, I'll pick the book up and open it. And then I'll read the first page. And then I'll just sit and read the whole thing. And I'll get to it and I'll go, yeah, that was all, that's all right. And because it's such a big thing, that had such a long period of time spent on it, you know, all the drawings, all the paper cuts, all the writing, yeah. getting the writing right and getting them all working together. It's not something that you can kind of look at as one thing. It's a massive extended thing. And I think, my, you know, the, the books I've done, I, I, that, that I'm satisfied with those. Although, you know, they're varying. Some of them sell, some of them don't sell. But uh, uh, something about those things that I kind of think well I, I I think I kind of I'm happy with that and I can let I can leave that alone and and be and be happy with it is it what, what that's really fascinating is that because of the way you tackle that creative process it's it's really linear yeah and it's really bound isn't it you you can't pass it on to the publisher until you've finished yeah. it is, is it to do with that process or is it to do with it's not the form, it's not the closed form. Or is it to do with the three years that you don't look at it and then go back and see it in maybe in a different way? I don't know. I think I was really focused on it at the time of doing it and I didn't do anything else and I really focused on each page and the story and everything like that. So there's a lot of intense sort of scrutiny on how this thing is going to work from page to page as a story as a whole, small sections within the story, yeah. how the pages, you know... How, how the pages look, how the next page looks as you turn, you know, how it all develops. So it's a lot of, a lot of decision making and, um, and that period as well of sort of putting it aside and then coming back to it is, uh, you experience it kind of almost for the first time as almost like a kind of somebody else reading it, yeah. you know what I mean? So for, because of that distance, I'm actually seeing myself, my work slightly from outside myself That's because really I've kind of forgotten about it a little bit. I haven't forgotten any of it, but I'm kind of looking at it with that time distance, Amazing. time and distance. And um, so in a way I can kind of look at my work and appreciate it more as an outsider that isn't me so much because I'm slightly estranged from it. But when you look back at, at, at works, artworks that you've done, I, I find all of your 
um, paper cuts, all of your art, almost like a story. There, there are definitely oh, yeah, yeah. sequences and yeah, panels. It's all story, it's your, all story based. Work. And I, I've said to you in the past, and I know we're not in agreement totally, but I, I see you as a poet as much as an artist. And when I say poet, I'm not talking about rhyming couplets. I'm talking about making words, putting words on a piece of paper that make my heart lift or sink. And that's, that's magic. Do you not go back to work from 10 years ago and go, oh, I, I, I really like that? Yeah, of course I do. I do. I, and, 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 and I would be a liar if I, if I didn't sort of, you know, feel proud of myself as well and think, oh, I did a good job there, you know, and, and I do. But And that's not ego. That's just knowing you were good. Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah. yeah, why shouldn't you? You know what I mean? You did something good. You should generally, you should be able to be proud yeah. of yourself, you know, and I am. But at the same time, it's a it's a really hackneyed cliche but i got to say that in my head the best picture i've ever done i've yet to do i love this but it has to be doesn't well, it? It, it if it isn't what's the point it, of it coming into the studio today totally. what am i going to do a picture if you think if i can never do a picture if any other work in the future is never going to be as good at, what's the point no if you think your best work's behind you then there is yeah and just, just stop no you've point. done the best thing you might as well stop and sit on the beach you know and that's where I was going to end it, but you haven't answered the second question yet. Okay, my favourite, it's difficult, I love loads and loads of songs, love loads of types of music, but the song that is, nobody will have heard of this song, unless you're a, con a very big fan of independent uh, modern 80s soul, it's by a guy called Joseph Cotton, it's called Day by Day, it's from the San Francisco Bay Area, on a funny little label called Pashlo. And uh, I heard it on a tape years and years ago that somebody loaned me and I couldn't stop playing it. And I eventually got a copy and uh, I don't know what it is. I, I don't think this guy ever made another record. I think he came to the studio, made a record and I've never found it, but it's, it's perfect. It's a masterpiece and I don't know what, are you looking for it? I'm looking um, for it now, right? What are you looking for it Joseph on? Cotton, on, on Spotify, it's not there. It'll be, it might be on YouTube, but it won't be on Spotify. Wow. Joseph Cotton with a K or a C? C-O-T-T-O-N. As normal. But um, after all this build-up, he's like, oh, God. just a fucking stupid record. The whole thing is... but. But it is never just a stupid record because it, it lifts people. I know that Joseph Cotton was a reggae singer, but this is, oh, day by day. Joseph oh, look, there it is. Are you going to play it? I'm going to play it. Oh, brilliant. Oh, there you go. It does not surprise me that this is your favourite song. It's unbelievably brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's utterly lovely, and and the thing that the thing that moves me about your work is you you, you bring love and sentiment and and hope into all of your work in a way that isn't cheesy or schmaltzy, and you make me cry <laughs> by reading it. And your books are the same. 
and you, you're an you're an artist that moves people. You're not you don't just make fucking mugs. Yeah, where do you see the volcano? <laughs> and I, and I, I honestly, Rob, I, you're one of my favorite people to spend time with. Full stop. And um, and you're one of my favorite artists. And that, oh, what, what I you. loved about that conversation was just this massive optimism that that and and and, it, and, it, and we came into it with Northern Soul. And I know your politics as well. There's a better thing out there. Mm. There's a better. Yeah, yeah, that's the point, isn't it? it? Yeah, exactly. You know, that is the point. Thank you. Oh, cheers. Thanks, Your ace. <laughs> Hello. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm currently sat in Hong Kong um, a couple of weeks after I recorded that with Rob. And I can see why he loves this city. Um, and I can see the parallels with, with London. Actually, I mean, culturally, they're, they're worlds apart and, and yet they touch each other. But many, many capital cities now are just... Um, they're just incredibly vibrant and and they kind of stand proud of the countries that they're in um they're they're, they're almost like a country on their own it's re- it's really interesting I, I, a lot of what rob said resonated with me as i walked through the streets um last night anyway there was so much there was so much to pick out from um from that conversation with rob i th- th- there's loads of stuff that that resonated with me we're really similar me and rob and we get on like um, a house on fire. But I um, I really got that strong image of him cycling through London and seeing change um, happen through his psychopaths, not psychopaths, psychopaths. And, you know, when you've been cycling in London as long as Rob, and, and indeed I have, 30 years of cycling around London, where, where it was like 1% of trips, I think, back then, you, you were on your own, you know, it, it was warrior stuff. Um, Arguably, it's more dangerous now, but that's down to other cyclists more than cars in many ways. And um, and I, I do remember um, myself feeling how much things had changed from the point of view of a of a fresh rather than a canned person. You know, as soon as you're out of a car, out of a taxi, out of a train, you're fresh and you can see these things. Um, and you can get those smells and you can you can almost taste on on your tongue the areas that you're going through. So I really like that. I really enjoyed that. And I really love the conversation. And music's really important to me. And I'm not as, as much of a um, aficionado in um, Northern Soul as Rob is. But I just love that whole idea of music. As, as pop, actually. Pop as politics. Pop as identity. And um, there's this image of him getting lost um, in the Ramones. I, I really like that. And um, I just think that it's really important to embrace music and uh, and love it all, you know. I, I, I will increasingly um, have got a broader church of acceptance. I never used to be like that. I used to be really elitist, which is actually not a strength. It's a dreadful weakness. But that whole idea of hidden hand claps and being confused by what everybody else in the club were doing, absolutely brilliant, totally brilliant. Um, but, you know, the, the overriding feeling I had from a conversation was that utter joy of doing something for yourself and and not for the money now of course you need the money to be able to to do that or you need to have no attachment to money it's a thing that you tend to do at the beginning of your career or the end I guess and I guess um that's where side projects really help having a little side hustle really helps because that bit maybe doesn't depend on the money in the same way that the that the day job does so you can maybe find a little bit of passion there 
And then, of course, it asks the question as, as what happens when your side project becomes your day job and then maybe the passion isn't there anymore. It's really interesting. Um, utterly, utterly love that conversation. And we barely talked about his work, so maybe that's one for another day. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, and please leave comments. Let me know what you think. Um, anybody that you think might be um, interested in listening to the podcast, please share it. Anybody that you think might be interesting to be on the podcast, let me know. Okay, have an amazing day, whatever you're doing.